offering, go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to the book of Luke. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and we're going to look at just a, a quick message of what this, uh, what this kind of means, what it has to say, what, how the Lord is revealing himself to us uh, through the gospel that is in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And so um, what's going on here, if you're kind of unfamiliar, there, there really are, are two, of the, two of, the, of the four Gospels tell the story of Jesus' birth. One tells it through, uh, through Mary's perspective and the other one through Joseph's perspective. And Luke tells it from Mary's perspective, while Joseph, uh, Joseph's perspective is told in the book of Matthew. And so you put those two things, to, put those two books together and you can kind of see the story of the nativity. Right, And so uh, in Luke chapter 2, it's kind of focusing on Mary's perspective. In Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says this. All right, now let me pause. Mary's already been told that, that uh, she's going to bear a son. She's been told that the Holy Spirit, uh, she'll conceive through the Holy Spirit and those things. And now they're, they're, uh, all of that stuff has been taken care of. And in Luke chapter 2, it picks up and it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Amen. Now, I'm sure you've, you've heard this, this passage before. If you've, uh, if you've been a, very, a Christian for very long at all, or if you've just uh, been an American, uh, you have probably heard these words before, uh, because this is, this is one of the most popular passages to read during Christmas time. Right? The, the story here in Luke chapter 2 about how there's no room for them in, in the inn and, and how they had to go because of, this, uh, because of what uh, Caesar had, had declared, the census that needed to happen. But I want you to see something here, and I want want you to see God's grace revealed in the gospel in this passage. Now, oftentimes we read this, and and one of the the problems uh, with uh, the Christmas season, um, if if I can word it that way, one of the problems is that we hear these passages that describe the Christmas story, and it's almost like like we glaze over them because we've heard them so many times. Every single year, we hear the story about how Mary and Joseph were betrothed, and they had to go to they had to go uh, to Bethlehem to, to give birth to the son. And what can happen is that we hear these uh, these passages so often that we don't really even look at them very deeply. We say, "Oh yeah, yeah, they had to travel. Yep, yep, yep. She was a virgin, but she had a she had a son, so they had to get to Bethlehem. And and I know that's where Joseph's family is from. Yep, I've heard all this before." Let's go. The thing is, the gospel is in here. In this passage, we see something of, of God's, really his strategy to save a multitude of men and women, right? boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation of this world. And his strategy is this, to send his son in this world to live fully human and fully divine and to die in our place. That's what we're going to see in the life of Christ. That's what we see in Christ. That's his purpose. That's why he came to Bethlehem. 
That's the reason why Christ became a man. Was to live a fully human and fully divine life and die in our place. I want to say that really is, I mean, honestly, I know that we hear the Christmas story year in and year out. I know that we know the Christmas story. I know you've heard it a bunch of different ways. But hearing that, hearing that, that, that God's purpose to, to save the, his people from their sins is to sin, send his son into this world to live a fully human and fully divine life and to die in our place should absolutely floor us. We shouldn't glaze over and say, yeah, I've heard this before. Do we really have to hear the Christmas story again? Instead, when we read Luke chapter 2 or the beginning of the book of Matthew, we should be blown away that God would do this for us because we don't deserve it. We absolutely do not deserve this. And so when we, when we celebrate Christmas, when we think about Christmas and, and the manger and Bethlehem and the virgin birth and, and all of those beautiful, wonderful things that we're reminded of from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day, we should be absolutely surprised that God would do that for us. Why would he? You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve something. It's, it's not that you are so wonderful and so good and so valuable that God said, oh, I've got to save her. She's a keeper. No. You are his enemy. You have rebelled against him openly. And yet he did it anyway. This is the most surprising thing in the world. It should blow us away. We should say, who am I? Who am I that the holy God of this universe would save me, would care about me? I have rebelled against him. I have turned my back against him. I've shaken my fist at him. I've encouraged others to do the same. And what is his response? Is his response swift, harsh judgment? No. His response is patience and long-suffering and grace and mercy. This is, this, is his, this is different. This is absolutely different from everything else that every other world religion or world philosophy has to say. Every other world religion or religious beliefs, kind of, you can boil them down to this. You can boil down every other religion in the world to say, it's a dangerous world out there, and God is a righteous God. Let me give you some good advice. If you be good, maybe you'll be accepted by God. If you work really hard and you try your entire life, maybe, just maybe, God will accept you. That's, that's kind of what all other world religions boil down to. Work really hard to be good, and maybe God will accept you. That's not what Christianity says. That's not at all what Christianity says. Christianity rejects that idea. The Christian faith says that that is ridiculous. This idea of be good and maybe you can be accepted by God is, is not the way to salvation at all. Because you're not good. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that you're not good. Romans 3 makes that very clear. Like, do you, do you realize how radical this story is? 
This, just this story in Luke chapter 2, that, just these seven verses that we read, that is radical. This is the story of your salvation. Do you see what it says? Do you, do you see what it tells you to do? Like when, when thinking about salvation, do you see what the instructions for you are? Did you find them? It's nothing. You have to do nothing. That's the point. That's the point of Christianity. There, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you must do. There's nothing you can do, even if you really wanted to. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. God sends his son into the world. And God's son does the work. God's son lives the perfect life as both man and God, never once having sinned, living in perfect obedience and in perfect holiness. And then at the end, his life is laid down and he's crucified on a Roman cross to save his people from their sins. Did you hear your role in that? It's not mentioned. In every uh, incredible story, right? You, if you read books or watch these movies, right? In, in these epic adventures of literature or movies or whatever, you know what's celebrated? Some like incredible quest that must be performed. Like they have to travel and, and accomplish this, this really challenging thing. There's no quest that you have to, that you have to, to get through to find salvation. Amen. There's not. As a matter of fact, if you approach it that way, if, if that's how you think you're going to find salvation, you will never find it. You will remain lost. You don't have to go to some special place in order to make yourself right with God. You don't have to face a certain direction or stand in a certain building to pray to him or to worship him appropriately. None of that is necessary. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, notice that, that, that there's, there's no pilgrimage that is undertaken by, by you or me. But there's the greatest pilgrimage ever taken. The greatest chasm ever bridged. And it's not traveling to Bethlehem. It's not Mary and Joseph walking the 120 miles to get to Bethlehem. That's not the greatest pilgrimage. What is the greatest pilgrimage? What is the greatest chasm? What is the greatest bridge ever crossed? Is God becoming man. That's the greatest chasm. That's what we celebrate. It is incredible that that happened. When God comes into this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to save his people from their sins. That is the greatest thing that has ever happened. You see, this story is not about a quest or a pilgrimage or, 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 or some sort of action or deed that, that you will do in order to make yourself right with God. This story is about what God is doing or what God has done to make you right with him. That's the story. The message is not be good and maybe you'll be accepted by God. You work really hard and you white knuckle through this life and maybe, just maybe, you'll find salvation. That is not the message. If Christians reject that message, we view that as idolatry. The message is not be good 
and maybe you'll be saved. The message is, look at what God will do to forgive you of your sins. Right? Look at what God will do to ensure that you are forgiven, that you are pardoned, and that you are accepted and changed and transformed to enjoy fellowship with him forever. Look at the lengths that the God of heaven will go through to change you, to make it so that you can be in his presence. That's the story. That, that, that's, what, that's what we celebrate. That's why we get excited at Christmas time. Sure, gifts are fun. Sure, fun food and cookies and fudge and, and looking at Christmas lights, all of that is enjoyable and good and it's beautiful to make memories with your families and have these traditions. But we can celebrate Christmas without any of that. It, it's worth singing and it's worth celebrating and we should be floored by the message that comes out of the book of Luke. That God became man. The story is about God's Son in the fullness of time being sent by the Heavenly Father into this world to save his people from their sins. John 3.16 makes this so clear. It, it, it explains it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not about what we will do to make ourselves right with God. It's about what God has done to declare us right with him. And Jesus, Jesus has come so that you can be accepted by God. He didn't come because you're so great. That's not why he, that's not why he came. He didn't come because you're worthy. Because you're not worthy. You're not deserving of this. Not because of anything that you've done or are doing or can do, but because of who he is and what he has done. The whole gospel story is about what God has done for your salvation. Not what God asks you to do so that you can be accepted by him. Right? And, and so even, even in this passage, we, we see how, how radical, how completely unexpected is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians, we, we love to, to think that it's about what we can do, what we can accomplish. We love to think it's about our works because we like to, we're, we're, we're kind of prideful. And we like to have a little bit of control over that. that I, look, at, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've achieved. I guess, I guess if, if you're not in the same boat as me, I guess you're not as good as me. I guess he can't obey as well as me. The gospel, the gospel that calls you to renounce your own attempts to make yourself right with God and to trust in the way that God has provided for you to be right with him. Stop trying to accomplish it on your own. Christ has done the work. And it's in the person and the work of Christ, what he has accomplished on your behalf. That's how we're saved. That's how we're justified. That's how we're made righteous. It, it would be a, such a tragedy for us to enjoy the gifts of family and friends and, and enjoy the traditions that happen this time of year. United and fellowship again. Maybe, maybe, maybe you travel pretty far to see some of your family. 
It would be a tragedy for all of those things to happen, to celebrate Christmas in all those fun, traditional ways, only for you to fail to appreciate the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, the story that Luke has presented before us in his gospel. Because we know how the book of Luke ends, don't we? We know that that at the end of the book of Luke, that that the Lord Jesus ends up on a cross. And then he walks out of a grave, doesn't he? And even later still, after he's resurrected from the dead, he ascends to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because his work, as he said on the cross, is finished. And the scripture doesn't say he's just waiting on you. He's just waiting on you to do your part. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says it is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of the Lord. This story, again, I know we hear it every single year. And I love hearing the story. And I get excited about Christmas. And I love to watch Christmas movies and celebrate before Thanksgiving, which is kind of illegal in some states, I think. I love all of that stuff. But what we're celebrating is the arrival of God the Son. And every time we think about that, it should give us goosebumps or take our breath away or or leave us in awe of what God has done. Because we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And every time we try to earn it, every time we think that it's because of how wonderful I am or what I have accomplished, I'm taking away from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is completely, entirely about who Christ is and what he has accomplished for his people. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for a savior. And a savior to to save us from our sins. God, we know that that Christ came to, to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to make us savable. He came to save us. From our sins, and we we're, we are overwhelmed with joy at that fact. And God, we know that we don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, we know that that we are sinners and we have rebelled against you. And God, we know that we know what the Scripture says about you and how holy you are. We know what the Scriptures say about your view of sin and how you detest it. And God, we know the condition of our own hearts. We know we're guilty. Each and every person in here stands condemned apart from Christ. And God, we are blown away by the fact that you intervened and you saved us from our sins so that we would no longer be your enemy, so that we would no longer be outside of the fold, but we would be adopted as sons and daughters, that we would receive the righteousness of Christ and be a co-heir with him. God, your grace and your mercy are mind-blowing And we celebrate that and we worship you this morning and every day. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.